When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis from around the world of football. This week we are going to look at the top clubs in English football as ever, top clubs in European football. We're going to do it through the prism of, I think it's fair to say, a country that's had perhaps the biggest influence on European football in the last decade or so, um, which is Portugal. And we have our uh, our regular Portuguese guest, Sergio Cricinas, back to join us. Um, Last time we spoke to him, I think he was assistant director of the Portuguese CIA. What's your current title, Sergio? Because I know you get upgraded. Hello, Duncan. I haven't been sacked, which is the good <laughs> news. So I'm still the assistant director at uh, Record, which is uh, the biggest and the most successful newspaper, sports newspaper in Portugal. And uh, yeah, that's that's uh, my job right now. And also do, doing some stuff for the TV. So that's how my life has been going. But on uh, Saturday, I am going on holidays, which is the best news I have for you right now. <laughs> going to the Algarve, I think you told me for your holiday. Yeah, I'm spending a weekend in the Algarve. I'm trying to, I think I will spend some days in my hometown, which is Aveiro, uh, up in the north of Portugal. And um, probably the rest of the time I'll try to to take my daughter to Disney, but I'm not sure if I, I feel be, if I will be able to do it. Although I'm already fully vaccinated, as um, lots of people in Portugal, the vaccination here is going really, really well. You're taking your daughter to see Jose Mourinho at uh, at AS Roma, who happened to be training in the Algarve at the same time as you go there on holiday. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll have her. Uh, take a picture with Jose and then she will keep it uh, as a memory and when when she she becomes 30 or 40 and Jose is no longer a coach I think she will be happy to 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 see herself next to someone who was so um, marking so so crucial for Portuguese football in the last uh, since the turn of the century <laughs> let's start with one of Jose Mourinho's many now former clubs Tottenham Hotspur, who are very active in the current transfer market. Um, new sports director, Fabio Paraticien, uh, currently trying to negotiate deals in many positions across the field and they're working on trying to sign the Argentina international Christian Romero from Atalanta, as well as um, Atlanta's uh, backup goalkeeper, Pierluigi Gallini talking today about how they would have to provide the right cash and there's lots of competition for Romero who was voted Serie A Defender of the Year last season. I can tell you that Tottenham are also interested in a player in Portugal, um, Jesus Corona, a right winger at FC Porto. Um, Just a year left in his contract 
and um, a position that Tottenham would like to strengthen if they can move out players. They've put Eric Lamella on the market and Lucas Mora on the market, hoping to receive transfer fees and reduce their wage bill. Obviously, Gareth Bale has been sent back to Madrid to play golf for the final uh, season of his uh, very expensive contract there. What do you think about Corona, um, Sergio? How, how has he done in Portugal at Porto? And do you think he would be uh, an improvement on what Tottenham already have if they were able to sign him? Um, I think it's fair to say Corona, Jesus Corona, is one of the best players in the Portuguese league in the last years. Um, right now, I look to the um, to the current players we have in Portugal, and I, I would I would say that, uh, in my opinion, he's the best player in the Portuguese league. Um, a tremendous, uh, skillful player. Um, you cannot tell if he's right-footed or left-footed. He's really strong with both feet. Actually, he can play in every position um, in the attack except uh, striker. Can, um, plays more in the wings. At Porto, he plays more um, in the right wing, but sometimes he plays in the left. Um, sometimes he plays as right-back, um, especially in games um, where the coach... Um, is willing to take some risks against smaller teams or uh, whenever uh, against Chelsea, for instance, uh, in the in the Champions League last season, he um, after substitution, Jesus Corona, when it, when they were taking risks um, to get to get the goal, uh, Corona was playing right back, and I think he made a mistake actually in a, in Chelsea's second goal in the first leg, the Ben Chilwell's goal. Um, but he's a very, very complete player. Um, he's not very physical. He's a short player, quite short actually. But he's fast with the ball, very skillful, good crossing, can score some goals. Um, I think he, he would he would play. He could be a good player for a top team in England. Um, if Tottenham gets to sign him, they they will be doing a great job. Although Porto is a tough seller. And Jesus Corona, he has one year left in his contract, it's, it's true, but his buyout clause has increased automatically uh, from 25 to 40 million euros on July 15th. So um, Porto will make it tough um, for anyone who wants to buy him, especially because the coach, Sergio Conceição, is, is uh, very keen on, on keeping him. Um, they have lost several players in the last years on a free transfers, like Hector Herrera. He went to Atlético Madrid. Uh, Musa Marega now he signed. He signed for um, Halilal. Um, even even Marcano. Uh, some players that were uh, the club chose to keep to keep them and keep a, a strong squad, uh, then uh, making money with them before the the, the contract expired. So let's see what they will do with with the with Jesus Corona. Um, the club needs money, is true, but uh, the coach is really strong and he has a huge influence in the club. And I think uh, Porto will be will struggle to find a, a better player than Corona um, in the current market. And I wouldn't be surprised if they make an effort to keep him, and uh, even if they lose him in a year uh, on a free transfer. They they have done one of the deals that we've been waiting for Porto to do, which was sign Marco Gruich from Liverpool on uh, on a full transfer. Although there was a bit of debate about that yesterday, as and yeah. in, in that the two clubs described the deal in different ways. You were telling me, yeah, basically Liverpool assumed it was a, a full transfer, 
um, Porto described it uh, as a loan for now, but they have a mandatory purchase uh, in a year. Um, total deal will be 10 million euros from what we know. Um, and it shows how, how Porto, and uh, it's not different from the other top Portuguese clubs, they are postponing their, their um, duties, their, their debts. Um, this case that they couldn't afford to spend 10 million euros right now in in Grujic. they they have been followed by UEFA for the breaching the financial fair play rules so they have to be careful with that and what they're doing is they are hoping to make money enough to to have this 10 million euros to pay to to Liverpool um after July 1st, 2022, which is when the new season season and the, the balance sheet start. It's, a, it's an interesting one because Gruich was told by Liverpool that they wanted 20 million euros for him initially. Um, there were conversations with Sporting, uh, who took the title off the the off Porto last season. Liverpool briefing that the deal eventually was 12 million euros with a 10% sell-on. It's actually has to be quite a low-level deal because Porto haven't announced it to the, the Portuguese stock exchange, which is standard practice on any significant transfer in Portugal, is it not, Sergio? Yeah, um, I think that the rules, the, rule are, the rules are not quite clear, but uh, basically they, the, the stock market uh, uh, asks the, the clubs to, to send them all the relevant information and uh, what, what is considered relevant information like. When they sign, when they sack the coach, that's a that's a relevant information. Uh, but when they make a big transfer, um, in or out, um, I think the the current uh, number is about if the transfer is about five percent of the total volume of the of the um, the club, they have to announce. In this case, it was uh, for now it's a loan. Um, I think up to ten million euros. Um, in the case of Porto, they don't announce. They, usually, the, the, they don't announce the the, the transfers of that uh, that uh, amount. Um, when it's uh, let's say 15, 20 million euros, they have to announce. Although Porto, in the last years, they haven't been doing so many of those deals. Um, at least signing players. So Corona, a player they could sell to raise a, a reasonable amount of cash. Tottenham were also in contact with Damari Gray. Um, who has today signed for Everton, um, a clever deal that's been organised by Gray's agent and that he moved to Leverkusen in January but included a €2 million Euro release clause in that deal to go to B the Bundesliga which allowed him to come back to England, Southampton also looking, AS Roma had a look at that price, signed a three-year contract with, a, with an option for another year. You say that Sergio Conceição will be very important in deciding whether Corona is allowed to leave. Um, we entered this summer with a lot of talk about Conceição moving to another European club after four seasons at Porto. In the end, he signed a, a new contract um, in the Northern Portuguese club. What, were you surprised that Conceição elected to stay there? I was a bit surprised, honestly, because um, at a point, because the season ended and Conceição hadn't uh, signed the new contract, though Pinto da Costa, Porto's president, had it been have been announcing it or promising it uh, in the last month, um, and so since 
everything was been has been had been delaying so much i was um, suspecting that uh, it wouldn't happen in the end there was a lot of talk about some italian clubs especially um uh, there was some links about Lazio, even Juventus. It was mentioned to Juventus. Um, but in the end, I think he never got the offer he was expecting to have after doing another good Champions League um, last season. Um, so he signed a three-year contract with Porto. He's been, he has, has committed to Porto until 2024. And, uh, and if, he, if he fills the contract until the end, if he stays until the end of the contract he, he will be you'll have seven seasons at Porto which is um, a huge huge uh, record for a Portuguese coach in a Portuguese club or a coach in a Portuguese club um, right now with his fifth season is the first coach ever under Pinto da Costa who has been elected president in 1981 uh, he's been the the first um, the first manager to do five consecutive seasons at Porto, I think since the um, 1930s or 40s, uh, no other manager has, has been such a long time in a, in Porto. So was was he, Pinto da Costa elected? I thought he was actually growing in the stadium. <laughs> was born in the stadium, actually. <laughs> no, like for all my life, it's the only, he's the only president I, I remember at Porto. Of course, and he's like uh, has won, won so many trophies uh, over there. He's changed totally the the, the club. Uh, people are not aware. People probably see Porto now playing Champions League. They won two Champions League under, under him, uh, twice the Champions League and and um, European um, Super Cup, UEFA Cup, Europa League. They they won so many um, international trophies. But Porto, until Pinto da Costa was elected, they had like seven or eight uh, Portuguese league titles since uh, the 1930s. They were 19 years uh, from uh, late 50s to late 70s. They were 19 years without winning the, the Portuguese leagues. They were they were a, a small club in, in Portugal in the, in the sense that they were they could not fight the, the Lisbon big clubs. And with Pinto da Costa, everything changed. So he, he made Porto not only a national big club, also the most successful uh, international club in, in Portuguese football. So that's that's why I think he will have probably a statue uh, in, in Porto, in Porto's uh, ground. Um, and he definitely deserves it. Uh, but with, with as I was saying about Sergio Conceição, the coach, uh, he has a strong connection with the, with the president as well. Um, he's been a club's a player of the, for the club. He, he has a strong link, emotional link to the fans, to the um, to everything in the city as well. But um, all all the the squad in the last years, all the, all the players who have been signed and released, has has it has been the coach who has decided everything. Um, he likes um, the physical players in the, in the sense. Uh, he likes some players for his system, for his ideas, working hard, working class players who, who are ready to, to fight until the, the end in his games. And all the profile of the players who have been signed are like that. Last season, they, they were a bit desperate in the last day of the transfer window and they signed some players like Philip Anderson from West Ham on loan um, who were not Conceição's cup of tea. And from the beginning, uh, actually, when, when it was uh, Philip Anderson was signed, I, I could tell from the beginning he will not have an easy life in Porto, and he almost <laughs> didn't play for Porto. 
Um, Marco Grujic actually it, it took a while to to be to be playing in Porto, but uh, the second half of the season he, he made several games. He was playing in a good level. I think that the coach learned and Grujic probably um, got used and adapted himself to the way. Consista wanted him to play. So right now, um, nothing comes in in Porto. Nothing, nothing leaves Porto uh, without Consista's agreement. So he's, he's the key man. There's no sporting director there. It's him who chooses the players and, um, and makes the squad. Uh, talking to um, other coaches about Consista's team, they, they they always remark on how he gets more out of the players than are, than are the sum of the parts. Uh, and from a motivational perspective more than a tactical pr- perspective it seems like he's a, a sort of Portuguese Diego Simeão is that fair? Yeah that's quite that's a, a very good image um, like he, he, he keeps saying something like I can understand if a player uh, misses a, a pass or, or makes a mistake but I cannot understand if a player doesn't run doesn't try doesn't work uh, like is 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 um, obsessed with work, and uh, even in trainings, he wants his players to be uh, training as as they if if it was a Champions League final. Um, and whenever he feels a player is not committed or more relaxed, he will go to war with with him. Uh, so yeah, that that's a very good idea. That he's probably the kind of Diego Simeone over here. So we we talked about the uh, the eternal force of of Pinto da Costa, an, an amazing story I think at the other end of Portuguese football in the last week or so that the, the eternal force at Benfica, um, their president has been forced to resign and leave the club, um, Luis Felipe Vieira. Um, tell us about that. Tell us the detail of what has happened there and the implications it has for Benfica as a football club. What happened to Luis Felipe Vieira was like uh, history uh, in front of our eyes. Uh, it was the first time that uh, um, a Portuguese, uh, the, the president of a Portuguese top club was arrested when in charge. Uh, about 25 years ago, Benfica had a uh, president was also uh, actually convicted for fraud, but he, he was only arrested after leaving the club. Uh, and Fieda was arrested while in the club. He's been the president of the club for the last 17 years. So he's like, um, not Pinto da Costa, but uh, kind of uh, Pinto da Costa's parts. Uh, he's been really strong and powerful in Portugal, not only in football, but also in politics and economics and everything. And he was arrested for, for two things. First, was he was accused of, uh, um, uh, with a friend of, of a, with the help of an agent, was also arrested and uh, released on bail. Um, he, he was accused of um, uh, taking money from the club on commissions. And the second thing was he was also accused of uh, using the club and to launch an um, um, uh, operation to buy the, the club's shares who were, were, were split in the market to help a friend of his to make a lot of money um, while he was also making money from, from his friend, uh, from, with the help of his friend. He spent three nights in jail. This friend was José dos Santos. That's him, José Antonio dos Santos, eight-year-old man who is a close friend of him, also business partners, partner in several companies. 
and now we know that uh, they they share companies like through uh, relatives like uh, José Antonio dos Santos' wife as a company uh, together with Luis Felipe Vieira Luis Felipe Vieira's daughter has a company together with uh, José Antonio dos Santos of course it doesn't look good and um, the the investigations believe that uh, it was also all part of a scheme to 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 take money out of Benfica and to and especially to avoid paying the the huge debt Vieira had to to um, the biggest private bank we had in Portugal that collapsed uh, about 10 years ago Banco Espírito Santo um, one of the cases of a bank that uh, went to bankruptcy and uh, now the government the government had to had to to pay all the debts and Vieira was the second uh, second biggest uh, debtor to to the bank and the agent involved was Bruno Macedo. Bruno Macedo, a guy that has a lot of lots of deals in Brazil, lots of connections in Portugal, um, also, and also Vieira's son was also uh, arrested because he's um, he's a chairman in in several of Vieira's companies, basically uh, construction companies. So four people were arrested in that, and there's a lot of stories in Portugal claiming that this is only the tip of the iceberg. This is only the start, because other other clubs, other agents in football, other people in football will be also arrested soon. And uh, there's a huge belief that uh, there's football, um, not only in Portugal but also in Portugal, is is um, is a environment which is really good to laundry money and to to tax evasion and also to fraud. And this this operation is called Carton Vermelho, red card. Red card, yeah, that's it. And, that's and it, it. it's effectively given the biggest figure in Portuguese football in, in terms of running a club, a red card, because he stepped away from his position as president and then um, voluntarily resigned his position as president. Yeah, the the um, the decision from the 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 judge the judge was to forbid him to contact the other members of the board of the company who runs the club, which are for the, for other people. Um, two of them are also uh, club's vice president Rui Costa and uh, José Eduardo Muniz, so we could not be in touch with them at all. Um, and uh, uh, of course, without being able to be in touch with the other members of the board, he could not be the the the, the football company, the SAD uh, president. Uh, so um, after that, the, they decided that he had to to resign, and so uh, he did. Um, he could keep the 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 role as club's president. Um, there was nothing, no decision against it. But of course, there was no conditions for him to 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 stay, and he also resigned from the club uh, last week. And Rui Costa uh, was appointed as uh, second vice president, or first vice president, second in the list um, in the last elections who were held in October. Uh, Rui Costa took charge of both club and and uh, the football company. Now, what's the impact for Benfica as a football club, as a as a trader in the transfer market, of not having Vieira? in play anymore because he wasn't he wasn't a standoff president he was the guy who was actively doing deals basically a chief executive almost a sports director would it be fair to say in some ways yeah it's true uh, Vieira was involved in every transfer 
Um, I, I think, honestly, this is my personal view. Uh, things will change a lot in Benfica. Uh, Vieira was like uh, a tree that was uh, drowning everything around him, you know, um, <laughs> in the sense that things were, were doing, nothing was done in, in Benfica without Vieira knowing. And he was controlling everything, uh, even even the, the way he was acting um, in the in the stock exchange. And uh, th- there's a lot of things that we, I think we still don't know for sure what happened, but for sure it will be a different club uh, right now. Um, lots of agents were uh, relying on their relation with Vieira to make deals. And Befica in the last years, they were signing and selling a lot of players, not only uh, first team players, not only players that they wanted to for for the for the team, um, but they were also uh, trying to be a trading point and making profit on on players like free transfer, they sign f- free agents and then they would include them in other deals and try to make profit on that. I think with the Altviera on the board, uh, things will be different. Um, and right now, you see, Benfica has signed only three players for this summer. Um, they are, I think, more quiet in the in the transfer window. But um, probably they will they will miss uh, some connections that Vieira has. Uh, but in the end, uh, it's such a big club. They have so so a few good players, and uh, they will they will. Be living, I think life goes on for Benfica. How do they resolve their problems in terms of finances, having lost someone like Vieira with the squad they've got? Because a couple of years ago, Benfica were a team which was focusing on young talent and developing young talent to sell on, and Jean Felix being the, the cardinal example of that. But if you look at Benfica's current squad, where they're trying to raise cash, there doesn't seem to be a lot of that type of talent left in it. It's true. Um, last season, they totally changed their policies and they, they signed Jorge Zouz back, the coach who had been in the club for six years, since 2009 to 2015. Um, he won the Copa Libertadores with Flamengo and, and Vieira decided to bring him back after losing the, the league to Porto. Um, and... Uh, Jorge Jesus is not famous, is not known for, for giving young players a chance to play. <laughs> Actually, he's been quite accused of doing the opposite. Um, and last season, Mifika spent 100 million euros in, in transfers, which is crazy in a pandemic year. They signed uh, Everton from the Brazilian national team. They signed young Vertonghen on a free transfer, but with a high salary. Um, they signed Darwin Nunes for 24 million euros. Uh, Otamendi with a huge salary from Man City. They signed a lot of uh, players who were established, not young kids, not young prospects. They, they, they signed players who, who they felt they, they could be an, give a, an immediate impact to the team. So basically you're saying that Jorge Jesus is the Harry Redknapp of Portuguese football. (laughs) I I don't know what you mean with that. uh, Jorge Jesus has won some trophies in Portugal, actually. (laughs) He has has won the league league three times from Ifica. So uh, he has has, uh, some trophies and he has reached twice the Europa League final. So I think Redknapp doesn't have that CV. But uh, Jorge Jesus is is a coach that he wants to win at every cost so it's not uh, it's not uh, ready to have patience with a with a kid and making mistakes on the pitch you know 
Um, so that was a policy last year, and it was a total disaster for the club. They finished the season third uh, without the Champions League spot guaranteed. Um, so now they are struggling a bit, in, also in finances. They they have released um, bond issues uh, to raise uh, at least 50 million euros. Um, it was actually it happened while the president was being arrested, so they are a bit uh, scared with that as well because they don't know for sure if they will get if will, if they will raise the, all the all the money they have released in bonds, um, which finished uh, finished on Friday actually um, the deadline, and they are fighting for their lives in the Champions League. They have to play Spartak Moscow, which is by irony. Uh, managed by Rui Vitoria, the coach who replaced Jorge Jesus at Benfica in 2015 and the coach who, who won two leagues against Jorge Jesus because he was in Sporting. So there's also this uh, irony. And last season, Benfica was um, knocked out in the... Um, in the Champions League, they were they were um, in the in the third qualifying round against Pauk uh, after uh, with a goal from uh, Zivkovic, a player who had been released from Benfica a month earlier. So, uh, like, there's a lot of uh, coincidence, and I think the fans are a bit scared about what Rui Vitori may do to the to the club right now, to Benfica right now, and. The, the, with that huge spend on George Jesus, um, both in salary and in terms of players, they finished third, which is why they have these problems with the Champions League. Um, who do they sell? Because we we see the names Julian Weigel being linked, uh, Harris Severovic, um, Darwin Nunez, who who interestingly is has been on Manchester City's list as an alternative option. Um, he's injured now and he, he mm. won't be ready until late September or October. He had a knee injury, so he's out of the market for sure. So who do they sell to raise the cash? I, apart, I think from, they are, apart from Nuno Tavares to Arsenal. Oh, so yeah. I think I think they are hoping on making money on Seferovic after the Euros. He, he was good in Euros for Switzerland. Um, and maybe with Carlos Vinicius, he was not uh, brilliant at Tottenham, but I think he did enough to to have some credit. Uh, he didn't play much, but he scored some goals for the for the time he had played. So they they think they can do they can do some some money with Carlos Vinicius, the striker as well. Um, they have already sold uh, Pedrinho, a Brazilian uh, guy, they, they, to Shakhtar Donetsk for eighteen million euros, which was the money they they spent on him last season. Um, they were lucky to get. Uh, Almost the same money they they spent on him. Um, Julian Weigel, I think they, they will try to to get something for him. But the problem is that they, they paid twenty million euros for Julian Weigel, and he has a huge salary. He's probably the biggest salary in the in the squad. Um, I think it's uh, nearly nearly two point five million euros net per season. And and right now they are they are hoping to get a club for Julian Weigel, but uh, they are aware it will be difficult to do it. Okay, that, that's Benfica across Lisbon. Let's look at Sporting, who remarkably sell Bruno Fernandes, the best player in, in Portugal, um, as you told us long before he uh, he left for Manchester United, and then go and win the their first title in, I think, 19 years um, in, the, yeah. in the season after, which I don't think I heard anyone in Portugal predict as, as something that was going to happen last season. 
No, 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 no. It was, uh, it was even even they were top of the table. Uh, if you if you ask people in January when they were top of the table, they would say no. They they will they will go down for sure. They they cannot stand this until the end of the season. Uh, but they did, and they lost one game in the league. Uh, in thirty four games, they lost the last game at Benfica actually um, for three, if I remember. Uh, but uh, the first in in forty two games in the whole season, they lost three. They lost um, the second game in the Europa League against Las Colins. They they were beaten four one at home. Um, it was a bad a bad uh, result for them, a really bad result. And it was early in the season. Everybody was like, okay, this is going to be another bad season for Sporting. But actually it was a, a, um, a bliss in disguise for them because they, without the European football, they could focus in, in the Portuguese league. Uh, Benfica, Porto and Braga until um, December, January, they were playing twice a week and Sporting was playing once a week. And so they could manage to to build the team, and to grow as a team. So in the end, they 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 totally got the um, deserved the, the league, and they were also knocked out in the cup uh, in January. So they lost three games the whole season. It was against Las Glins in the cup against Maritima away, and at Benfica in the last week in the in the last game of this of the league when they had already won the the league. So it was a massive season for them, and um, you have to. Give a lot of credit to their to their manager Ruben Amorim, uh, who is uh, now everybody sees him as the next big thing in Portuguese football. Is is probably has a has been having a, an impact similar to what Jose Mourinho did in his first season at Porto. So what did, what did he do to change the team after losing Bruno Fernandes? Because he, he's just thirty six years of age. In a yeah. very interesting story about how Sporting recruited him from Braga. The season yeah, before, yeah. yeah, he's like, uh, uh, yeah, he doesn't have the um, the um, qualifications to be a top coach, uh, a coach in the first division in Portugal. Actually, he uh, he was being fined uh, every game for being actually during the first uh, part of the season. He was not uh, officially the the coach of Sporting because he didn't have the license uh, degree, uh, mm-hmm. the UEFA UEFA Pro uh, degree. Uh, so he was assistant coach at Sporting, and there was a lot of complaints about the about his qualifications, lack of qualifications. Uh, he was fined. Uh, Braga were punished. Sporting were punished. Uh, before he was at Casapia in the third tier in Portugal, and they were also punished. Uh, they were deducted points because they had him as a coach without the qualifications. Um, so there's a bit of controversial about his his. Um, about this, about this lack of qualifications. The fact he went to Braga for the B team, Braga uh, sacked their manager um, two years ago and uh, they brought him to the first team. He did 13 games for Braga uh, in the first team, 13 games. He won 10 of them, uh, including Benfica, Porto and Sporting. They, he won a League Cup in these games. And after 13 games, Sporting, um, they were totally desperate back then. Sporting the um, Frederico Varandas, they were, he was struggling. The the president Frederico Varandas, he was struggling to keep his position because there was a lot of of uh, people wanted him out of the club. And Frederico Varandas made an all in move and without money, and they went to Braga. They paid the release clause of uh, Amorim, which was. Uh, uh, 10 million euros, but then they, they had to pay more in the end because they, they got delayed on the payments. But he paid 10 million euros for the coach um, 
basically to save his to save his position as a, as a president, and they felt he was the right man, and he was. He, he he grabbed the club in March 2020. I think he made one game before the pandemic uh, came and stopped everything. And the the last months of the season, the last uh, games of that season were not brilliant. They they had the eleven games and they uh, won six. Okay, it's not brilliant. And this following season, he made some tough decisions, like uh, sending out some players like Marcos Acuna, Argentinian international. Uh, he was uh, put apart from the squad in, before he was sold to Sevilla. One of the best players the Sporting had. He made uh, a lot of brave decisions, bringing kids to the first team, um, like Nuno Mendes, uh, um, Gonçalo Inácio, playing centre-back, uh, uh, Thiago Tomás up front, uh, Daniel Bragança midfielder, lots of lots of young players who, had, who never had a chance at Sporting. Some of them they were 18 when they started to play for Sporting and they were starting uh, playing as a starters for Sporting. Um, they started with a three-four-three system, signed some key players, and they were not expensive. Like uh, Pedro Porro, who came on loan from Man City, uh, two-year loan, um, signed Fedal, a center a Mor- Moroccan center back was not um, playing at Betis. Signed Adan, the goalkeeper uh, was bench and Atlético Madrid. Uh, signed some key players, and uh, they were brilliant last season, and they totally deserve it. Um, he has signed meanwhile a new contract uh, with a release clause of 20 million euros and I think we'll have a huge test this season they will play Champions League uh, of course and um, they will play twice a week at least until December Um, I think if he does well in the Champions League and of course doing well for Sporting is not winning the Champions League it's um, if he goes through the the, the group stage and he reaches the knockout stage it will be massive for Sporting they just did it once, I think, in um, in the last twenty years. Um, if they he does that, I believe that lots of European clubs will be looking to him. I think they are, already are, but uh, they will be totally um, convinced he is a, a guy that is worth to 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 look at and probably to spend a lot of money on him. Um, he's a brilliant guy. He's very funny uh, with a great sense of humor. Uh, always ready to tell a joke. Uh, but very competitive when you see him on 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 the bench during the games, is arguing with the referees. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's been sent sent off during the season I think four times. Is is like uh, the referees say is really really is a pain for the referees. Like you know, really competitive, always pushing, making decisions. But if you listen to him outside of the game, it's is a polite, intelligent, bright, funny guy. Um, yeah, so I, I see him being the next big thing in Portuguese football in the next years. Well, he was being offered around some of the top clubs in, in Europe this summer. I think with the idea of securing money for him because of that 20 million euro release clause in his contract, um, my understanding is he was offered to Celtic uh, and also to a couple of Premier League clubs who were looking for managers. Um I think there's also something interesting going on with Nuno Mendes, you mentioned there. Um, same agent as Bruno Fernandes. A very similar story to the one we saw with Bruno Fernandes when uh, we were told that he had agreed to sign and that Manchester City had a deal in place with Sporting um, quite early on in the process, which was uh, something that was being fabricated in order to... to uh, 
extract interest from other English clubs. Tottenham obviously had a go at Bruno Fernandes, eventually went to Manchester United. Um, Nuno Mendes, in this case, has been offered to Manchester United. Manchester City do like the player, is my information, that Chiki Pergiristan thinks he is the best player in um, sporting squad at present, but not interested at the the price that Sporting have been trying to get for him, which has been mentioned at, at 60 million euros. Do you think Mendes is ready to go to a Premier League club and a top Premier League club? Um, and w- that kind of fee is realistic for a player of his level at present? Uh, it's hard to, to tell. The pandemic has, has uh, totally disrupted the transfer window market. Before the pandemic, I, I, I would tell you that um, I think I think Nuno Mendes could be a, a player to be worth 40, 50 million euros. I think it, it, he's a very good player. Um, Chick is not. He's right. I think he's probably the, he's the best player in the sporting squad, at least the the one that you could see playing in, in at a top level is um, strong very fast uh, skillful um is a good kid in the sense that's humble uh, learns uh, and if you see the the way he started to play he started uh, to uh, to play for sporting as a starter and he, he was he was 18 uh, just after he turned 18 and he was like playing in in the kindergarten with with his with his friends you know very comfortable uh, it was didn't feel the pressure, um, but if you think, um, and there was a guy from the Portuguese national team who told me that uh, Nuno Mendes he never played a game a game a professional game in front of uh, of a crowd. He never had uh, people watching him live on a stadium uh, because he started to play after the pandemic hit us. Um, so we don't know. Uh, how how will the pressure will affect him? The pressure from the fans in England, you would have that. Um, I think from what I know from him, he has uh, his mind on, on the right place, a good mentality, strong mentality. Um, so maybe that wouldn't be an issue. But right now, the clubs are more careful and cautious with uh, on on how they spend money. Um, but it's definitely a player that, uh, if nothing strange happens, I think he will be um, he will be playing in a top team in a couple of years. Um, again, probably lots of teams are waiting f- to see him play in the Champions League to see him develop to see how he behaves against uh, against top uh, top sides against uh, at a higher level. He needs that, but uh, in Portugal he has played uh, big games against Benfica, Porto. So Braga, so he has done really well. Um, so I think I think uh, I can imagine him playing easily in a top team in a couple of years or three or four years time. Another player that Sporting would like to sell if they can get the right money for is their central midfielder, Jean Palina. Um I take it he's one of the players that Amarin brought with him from Braga since he he'd, he'd had him on loan there and and promoted them into the the sporting first team. The asking price, I understand, is 30 million euros and he's been offered around Premier League clubs at at present. Yeah, he's he's one of the players that has been linked uh, with more clubs. The information I have is that uh, sporting president Varandas told Amorim he's not selling um, Palinha, he's going to keep him. 
Um, he played in the Euros, uh, so his price, I believe, uh, at least uh, went a bit up. Um, I have some doubts about him uh, in the sense that uh, I, I honestly don't see him ready for a, a top, top, top level team. Um, Nuno Mendes, I believe he can do it. Uh, Palhinha, I think well, he's a very good player, of course. He can play in the Premier League, can play Serie A, can play in many teams. But uh, I think um, he would not make such a big difference as uh, Nuno Mendes would do in, in a team. So, Sergio, we've talked about the three biggest Portuguese clubs in Portugal. Let's talk about the, the biggest Portuguese club in the Premier League. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Bruno Lage, good appointment or not after their great successes under Nuno Espirito Santo? Honestly, it's hard to predict, Duncan. Um, Bruno Lage, um, we just know him for his time at Benfica over here in Portugal, uh, especially in the first team. and. He became the best player, the best manager in Befica history, and also the worst manager in Befica history. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like really bipolar. Is is uh, is spell at Benfica. Um, he grabbed the team in January 2019, and uh, the second half of the season, Befica was perfect. They, I think, in 19 games, they won 18 and drew one. And so they recovered from a seven points, seven point uh, um, uh, difference to Porto and won the title, uh, which was an amazing um, performance, one of the best ever in Portuguese uh, football. Um, and he did that actually with lots of young kids. Uh, Ruben Dias was already starting, but also other kids like Florentino, um, uh, Ferro, uh, João Felix as well. So he, he brought a lot of young players and he, and he made the perfect uh, second half of the season. Um, the following season he was quite good in the first uh, half of the season, one defeat only against Porto and then uh, after January February Benfica went down uh, dramatically and they had a seven point lead and they finished the, the league like five points behind Porto um, after uh, lots of games uh, without wins. So it's hard to tell which which one is the real Bruno Lage? I think he had it struggled he struggled a bit in Mefica to cope with the, with the pressure of being in a top team. Lots of uh, people arguing and questioning him and question his choices every day. Um, I believe that he, he got influence on his mind, also on his choices, the the way sometimes he chose uh, thinking too much about what people would think. Um, I think uh, I value him. I think he's a he's a intelligent guy, um, has good uh, good knowledge of football. Um, probably England will be easier for him, and in a club which doesn't have the same um, media request and the media interest like Benfica does in Portugal, uh, could be easier for him. Um, so I'm quite curious to see uh, which one will be the, the real Brunelage over there at Wolves if it's the, the first Brunelage or the second Brunelage in Bifica So they've refreshed the team to a certain extent they've allowed Rui Patricio to move to Roma eventually um, and brought in Jose Sa for a, a lower fee from Olympiacos a, a player who 
has been part of the Portugal national team squad, but not yet started for the national team. They've also taken Trincão from Barcelona with an option to buy, which seems to me quite an intelligent move and, and typical of the type of things that Wolves have done under the Chinese ownership. Very good player, Trincão, yeah, it's true. What do you see happening with Ruben Neves? Because they want to raise cash in the transfer market. Um, Pedro Neto had been identified as someone they could sell and then he got himself injured, so difficult to do that with the injury he has in the current market. Um, Adama Traore also in a similar situation, not injured but um, available for sale. Ruben Neves seems to be the one that uh, they have the highest chance of shifting in this window. Um, Interesting in that Manchester City wanted to sign him two years ago and offered £60 million. At the time, the Chinese owners said, no, we need £80 million, and City stepped away from it. My guidance is that they're asking £50 million at the moment with, with Arsenal uh, already having made quite strong uh, contact with Wolves and with Neves about the deal. Um, you have Manchester United also in the market for a defensive midfielder. Um, and there's a feeling that the price might go as low as 40 million. Do you think that's good money for someone like Ruben Neves? You'll have watched his career and how he's developed into a Portugal international. You understand why they would sell him now and uh, and that he's ready to take that next step to a Champions League club. It could be good money. I mean, um, if you if you asked me that question two years ago, a year and a half ago, I would say no. I think um, he probably he would be he was he was worth more than that. But uh, it's quite it's quite hard for me to to see how the, this transfer window will develop in terms of big deals. Uh, we haven't had so many until now. Um, you don't see money floating around Europe as you used to see before. Uh, lots of clubs don't have the money. You have a problem with the French clubs who are uh, bankrupt. The Spanish clubs are bankrupt. The Italian clubs are bankrupt. So um, I, um, I think right now, if, if you get um, uh, 40 million euros, I think that that was the figure you said, right? 40 uh, million pounds is the, the number. Okay. Pounds uh, for a defensive midfielder. It, it's uh, quite, quite good money. Um, even if it's a player in the Premier League on a Premier League transfer, um, I think it will be hard for them to to say no to also say no to that offer. Um, and especially because they have the the connections and they have done in the past, the recent years they have done really well the their homework with scouting young and good players like Ruben Neves, for instance. Everybody thought he was too expensive when they signed him because he was a young prospect and now everybody sees he was a good signing. The same as Pedro Neto, for instance. Um, Pedro Neto was, uh, was a player that um, Befica also tried to sign him and uh, every, everybody thought it, would, it was crazy to pay uh, more than 15 million euros for, for a player like him. And you see he, he, he has developed into a really good player. So um, yeah, I think I think in this current market it could be a good deal for them, and I think with the half of that money, even less, they they will find a good replacement for him, for him. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who do they replace him with? You know the Portuguese market. 
you know the type of players they look for. If they do sell Nevis, who do you think they would bring in as a as a replacement? Let me take a wild guess. <laughs> Why not Florentino from Benfica? Um, on loan or something? It was uh, Monaco last season in London. Didn't play that much. Yeah. Um, but he he was very good with Laje. Uh, the, the 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 good Lage the first half uh, the first months of Lage at Benfica Frontino started was one of the kids that he brought to the first team and he was uh, became a really good player interesting player um, he's not Neves he's totally different from Neves he's a more positional positional midfielder not very strong not as strong as Neves in long passing uh, on shooting he's not that kind of defensive defensive midfielder but he's um, has a very good positioning, very good, uh, lots of interceptions in the game. I think probably is a bit better defensively than Ruben Neves. Um, and he's starting for Portugal under twenty one. Well, starting he's in the Portugal Portuguese under twenty one national team. So um, I I think he still has a um, he still has a potential. I mean, although he hasn't played that much in Monaco, almost didn't play in Monaco last season. I think he's a very interesting player. And I would not be surprised if if uh, Wolves and Brunelage takes uh, take uh, some risk on signing him, because maybe they could get a cheap deal or a loan or something, um, and it could be interesting to 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 test him at that level. Let's talk about another midfielder from Benfica's academy, Renato Sanchez. Quite a story that he moved to Bayern in 2016 in a deal that could have been worth up to 80 million euros. In the end, I think Benfica only got 35 million plus a couple of the the 5 million uh, bonuses for, for games played. Um, then loaned to Swansea City, eventually transferred to Lille for 20 million euros in 2019 and Lille only paying half his salary. Uh, the rest being paid by Bayern. Now, after winning the championship at Lille and uh, and at some some good performances in the European Championship, he is on people's attention again. Lille, obviously one of those clubs in France, affected uh, financially and looking to sell at profit. My information is that Barcelona are trying to structure a deal that would allow them to sign Renato Sanchez. Um, it's obviously going to be difficult. They've got a huge number of problems in terms of getting players off their books at present, but they want someone of his type having lost out on Gini Wijnaldum, um, who Koeman had made very important to his, his summer transfers. Probably they're going to try and structure this as a loan with an obligatory option to buy. I think you know a lot, quite a lot about how things went wrong for Renato when he went to Bayern. Um, can you tell us about the development of his career player you flagged up as being a major talent? It is, yeah, totally. But he left Benfica when he was 18. And honestly, I think the, um, all the hype around him, he, he had won the Euros with Portugal um, uh, before he, he turned 19. Um, Bayern had already signed him back then. Yeah. And of course, when you, when you move uh, to a club like Bayern, which is... Um, I would say quite difficult for a club, for a, a Portuguese kid um, moving. I think he moved on his own to to Munich, and he had. Uh, I was told he, he was living there with some cousin, young kid as well. Um, doesn't speak 
German, don't think he spoke very well English. Uh, so he struggled a lot and the, the expectations um, were huge because he he was presented, I think, the same day as Mats Hummels. Uh, so, and he was one of the, the most expensive uh, Bayern Munich signings ever. So the expectations were huge. I think his own expectations were huge. And since after things didn't develop, didn't start really well for him, I think he just went down the drain and could never regain his confidence there. Um, then later, the, his move to Swansea was was a disaster. Um, and when he went to Lille, he found a club with a, with a Portuguese uh, sporting director, Luis Campos, a club where, where they were uh, they had other Portuguese players. José Font, I think, was already there. Um, so he found like uh, comfort, like being at home somehow, and that's I think how he developed how he developed like that and, and regain his, the balance on his career. Um, if you compare the way, uh, they are totally different players, okay? The, but if you compare the way um, Ronaldo uh, moved to Man United in 2003 and the way uh, Renato Sanchez moved to Bayern Munich in 2016, uh, they were totally different and you're talking about players at the same age. They were both 18 when they moved. Uh, when they had the transfers, the expectations were really high for both of them. Um, but you see Ronaldo in the first season and under Alex Ferguson, he was uh, not a starter for Man United. I mean, they had a plan for him, uh, let him grow slowly. And he, he only became uh, the key player for United. I think it was 2005, six around that. So they had the patience. They knew how to develop him to get him ready to, to, to be playing at the top level um, and fulfill his potential. With Renato Sanchez, I think, I think the main fault was from Bayern Munich with all the expectations they created. And they thought they, they were signing a, uh, an adult and they were signing a teenager. He has something very special about him that you can see, see the ability to run with the ball and to hold, kind of bounce opponents off him. Yeah seems to disturb a lot of opponents at the top level. You can understand where that uh, attraction came from. But do you think he's, if he, were, if he was to move to Barcelona, do you think he's at a stage of maturity where he could handle that now? I think, I think the, what, he, what he has been through in, in Bayern and then later at Swansea has been, have, have been really great lessons for him. So uh, probably... Probably he he became better uh, better person better more adult uh, with with what happened to him so could be could be better for him and I think uh, probably the people around him uh, agents and people take care of his career uh, will not let him be alone as as he was in 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 Munich most of the time um, could be could be interesting. Um, on football terms, uh, yeah, Barcelona Koeman wants a player like that. He, he failed Wijnaldum, it's true. Um, honestly, uh, it was not the kind of player I would have imagined in playing for Barcelona, a team that they have Frankie de Jong. is a totally different midfielder. I don't see it really well how will they, they connect the, the way de Jong plays and Renato Sanchez plays. Um, but uh, I don't know what's, what's in Koeman's mind, but it is a player that... Uh, he, uh, I remember him in Benfica when he started to play. He was early, uh, 18, 
after uh, shortly after he turned 18 he started uh, to play for the Benfica first team and he, he has changed Benfica's season uh, and he, he was just a kid uh, who just turned 18 and uh, started playing for the first team in around November until November Benfica was totally a depressive team play, losing games uh, losing 3-0 at home against Sporting Lisbon in the Lisbon Derby they were totally I think seven points behind the the, the leader Sporting Renato Sanchez came in and totally changed the team by himself I mean the kind of player you give him the ball and he will push the team uh, uh, to the front he, he will drag the team by himself you know the way you, you say he grabs the ball he, he, he bounces the opponents he can can move gain meters with the ball um, very aggressive chasing the ball he's, he's, he's a special player a really special player and a guy that can change a team by himself alone um, but I think he needs he needs to be handled carefully. You know, he needs a death sign. You see on, on the on the the boxes, the paper boxes, uh, handled careful. <laughs> he was obviously one of the players that Mourinho um, wanted to bring into Manchester United when he arrived there, but Bayern Munich were 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 too quick for them. We started the podcast talking about how Mourinho's headed for the Algarve with with AS Roma. Let's finish. Um, this part of the podcast by asking you what do you think it's going to be like for him at Roma? You have some uh, some good information on on how his time at, at Roma has started. I think it will be tough. Uh, the Mourinho and Roma and the new people at Roma, the owners, uh, Friedkin, uh, also the Portuguese sporting director, general director Tiago Pinto, they they. They have a big challenge, which is uh, convince the fans uh, that Roma is not as big as they think. I think that's the key for them. Uh, now they sign Mourinho. Of course, uh, Mourinho is, is, uh, has a huge uh, respect in Italy. They, most of the press, the fans believe Roma will be fighting with Juventus and AC Milan and Inter Milan and Napoli for, for the Scudetto next season. But uh, in the club they are aware it, it won't happen. I mean, it, it's not the plan. They, they want to make a three-year plan. They want to get to that point in, in, in three years, not now, because they, they feel they have a lot of things to, to change in the team, the mentality of the team, um, improve the squad, um, getting a different kind of players. Uh, so it will... It, the biggest challenge they, they they are facing now right now is in my opinion is, is to to convince the fans they they are not as good as they think they are. Do you think that's a challenge for Mourinho in that he's not used to having to build things? He he, he puts an internal pressure on himself on top of the external pressure to win immediately, and this is kind of a different task for him. It's true, but Mourinho, I think, is is. Is um, how do you say it in English? Is been is is being a victim of himself in the sense that uh, since the start of his career he has been winning trophies. Uh, Porto, well, since he moved to Porto, he, he was winning big trophies and important trophies. It's not just winning the Portuguese league; it's winning Portuguese league plus UEFA Cup plus Champions League, then winning the Premier League twice with Chelsea. Winning everywhere he went, 
and uh, being really successful. And that's uh, uh, what people expect from him. And that's why you, you look to Mourinho's career in the last years. Um, his spell at Man United uh, would be uh, considered good for most of the managers in the world. And most people look at Mourinho's job at Man United as a poor job because it's Mourinho, because Mourinho, Mourinho wins. Mourinho always wins. And uh, that's what people think. And it's not true. Nobody wins every time. Um, and so uh, I think he's been, he has this, this um, karma with him, this problem with him, with Mourinho. He has a ghost of, of winning all the time and people expect him to do it. And uh, when he moves to Roma, uh, probably the message the fans will get is that we're, we're having the manager that wins every time, so we're going to win. And from what I know, the plan is not to win and the fans have to, to be... Keep that in mind. The plan is not to win immediately. It's not... Uh, if Roma finishes uh, fourth this season in Serie A, um, I think it will be a successful season for them. Um, and I think that's how it will be seen inside the club. So we always do a podcast segment called Hero and Villain. And going from Jose Mourinho is probably a good way as any to get into hero and villain because he quite often is hero and villain simultaneously for um, countries and, and groups of supporters and, and media. Um, I'll start with a villain this week and I'm going to go for the Confederation of African Football who have uh, recently announced that they're in favour of the World Cup moving to a two-year cycle, something which um, Gianni Infantino, of course, is in favour of. And, and I think the fact that Gianni Infantino is in favour of it is not entirely disconnected with the, the vote from the African uh, Federation. Let's see what UEFA are going to say about that. Well, they, they've said already. <laughs> forget forget that. They will, they will not do it. Not a great idea. No. But um, we know why Infantino wants to do it. And if you want to read a bit more about it, I suggest you go to Philippe Auclair and, and, and look at some of his reporting. We've had him on the podcast before. Some of his reporting on why the African Federation is in step with Gianni Infantino's wishes um, for the World Cup and more football in the summer. Sergio, your job is to pick a hero. I will pick a hero who is also a villain and a zero. <laughs> <laughs> Florentino Perez has been in the news last week uh, for for some old audios. Yeah, I think from 2006, 2007, uh, private conversations where he blasts lots of people, especially Portuguese people. Actually, he's been quite... Uh, it's not been nice to Portuguese people, to Figo, Ronaldo, Mourinho, Jorge Mendes, Pinto da Costa, all Portuguese. Um, of course, he has been, meanwhile, been apologizing to anyone, to everyone. He, he has written uh, Porto, Porto's president, Pinto da Costa, apologizing uh, and saying that the, the words were taken out of context. But I don't know how can you take out of context uh, when someone says clearly, even if, if it's in a private conversation, if he says Pinto da Costa and George Mendes, they were stealing money from the, the, the transfer of Pepe and putting the money in a, in a bank account in Switzerland. Um, I mean, um, it's a private conversation, it's true, but uh, unless you, your mind have changed about that, it's, uh, uh, it's not serious to say it. It's uh, serious to think, it, think about it and think that that is true. And apparently Florentino Perez 
at least he thought it was true and uh, well uh, probably with the Super League uh, he will not have to worry about uh, uh, Porto and because he will not have to play uh, Portuguese teams anymore and how was this attack from Spain taken in Portugal? Well, uh, the, the the Porto situation was serious, of course, because he was accusing Porto's president and Jorge Mendes of uh, illegal things. Um, Porto made a statement saying, we have nothing to hide. Uh, the, the deal with Pep was 30 million euros. They explained how, how the money was split. Um but that's serious about uh, Mourinho and uh, especially Figo and uh, Ronaldo. It's all basic insults, which I can understand in a private conversation and, and saying, especially if you're not happy with someone, you, you at least in a, in a Latin culture, these can, that, those kind of words can easily come out of your mouth, uh, even if you don't mean it really, but if you are not happy with someone. So I don't take that so seriously, but... Uh, Accusing someone of st- uh, stealing money, uh, even if, if it's in a private conversation, it's it's a very s- serious allegation. So that's not pretty to, to see. Thanks, Sergio, for joining the transfer window. My pleasure, Duncan. So let me know when you want me in again, because I'll be happy. Not in the upcoming three weeks, hopefully. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll let you have your holiday. Thank you. Um, you're not on social media, are you, Sergio? You, you... I'm on some social media, but not on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is uh, my now get tired of the abuse, so I don't. I'm not on Twitter anymore. So give us one of your social media addresses. I'm, I'm on. I'm on uh, Facebook. It's the one that I use more. Okay, this has been the news before it became news. If you enjoyed what you heard from our special Portuguese edition, please subscribe uh, on one or more of our platforms, rate the podcast, review it and share it with your friends. We will be back for another Transfer Window podcast very soon. Please, while you're waiting for it, keep well, be safe and thank you for listening. (laughs) 